Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to convention is from Proverbs 20, verse 29. The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. Our God is the God of time, and in his time, he gives everybody their own time. Human experience takes place in the context of days, years, generations, and ages. In time, God gives to each their own kind of glory that is appropriate to their place. For the young, they have strength, and the gray head is a metaphor for wisdom and experience. The wisdom of this proverb is found in recognizing the profound truth it relates. Or even better, applying the profound truth it relates. On the surface, this truth is obvious, but our culture is frequently blind to it. We live in a society that glorifies newness, youth, and change. The spirit of age says that youth is where it's at, and old age is for the birds. We don't like white hair or old age because they point to frailty or weakness and even death. Our society shuns these things like the plague. So we sequester our old people into nursing homes and we don't value what they bring to the table. In our culture's eyes, they are out of touch and their expiration date has passed. And the result is that we have a generation who has lost the wisdom of this proverb. Instead of granting the wise and aged places of honor, we ignore them. And those who have grown up in this culture and bought into the lie are stuck on a, on a pointless hamster wheel. They're searching for the fountain of youth. They want to be valid. They want to have purpose. So old people try to act young, cool, and hip. Now parents, instead of being authority figures, are their kids' buddies. Women, no matter what their age, try to look like they're 18. And people are not allowed to age with grace. The church in our society has led the way in seeking after the latest trends or the nearest, newest fads. Instead of looking to God in faith, we try to manufacture the work of the Holy Spirit with gimmicks. We must repent of this foolishness. We must look to the faith of our fathers. We must stand on their shoulders. And in order for us to do that, we have to honor them. In our youth, we are strong. But if we will not combine our strength with the wisdom of experience, then our strength is wasted. Malachi's promise of the gospel found in the last verse of the Old Testament says that God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. In Jesus, this gospel is fulfilled and we have both strength and wisdom in vibrant community. A community that values both the aged and the young. The son honors the father 
and the Father loves the Son. To the glory of God forever and ever. Amen. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel. Remember, this is the hinge of the book. Today's text, bringing the gospel and the reception of the Holy Spirit by Gentiles, is central to the story that Jesus is writing about his work in our world through Luke. In the last two weeks, the stage was set. Peter was established as God's man and as Jesus Christ's representative in miracles and power. When he, uh, when he healed Aeneas and he raised Tabitha from the dead. Next, Cornelius was introduced and established as a worthy Gentile, a God-fearer, one who gave alms and who loved the nation of the Jews. And not only was he a good and righteous man, but he was a man who received a special vision from God. He had a vision of a holy angel telling him to send for Peter, very specifically, at the house of Simon the Tanner in Joppa by the sea. And then Peter had a vision communicating to him that he was to submit to God in God's leading in witnessing the gospel to Gentiles. And to top it all off, God's timing is impeccable in only the way that a sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, foreknowing, and foreordaining God's timing can be. As Peter has this vision, and he's musing about what can this mean, this sheet coming out of the sky with the unclean and the clean animals, the Holy Spirit sends him down to the three men who are waiting at his door. He tells Peter to go with them. And Peter went with them to Caesarea and met Cornelius and was ready to start his discourse. And that's when he, he was still trying to figure it out. And he asks Cornelius, why, why did you call me again? And Cornelius answered him and he ended with this. And this is where we left off. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So Cornelius had gathered all his friends and his family because the angel, the holy angel from God had told him that he had a message for him. And, he used, and God uses means. And, and so here's Peter. And Peter's saying, why am I here? You have a message for us directly from God. That's why you're here. And today we start with Peter's sermon. And Peter's sermon starts with a declaration about the new revelation God has given to him. It's finally clicked what God is trying to tell him. Verses 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Peter starts with a declaration that God is God for everybody. 
He doesn't play favorites, and he doesn't show partiality. The Greek word here actually says that God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't care who you are. If you're human, he made you, and he's your God. If you're alive, you exist because he's God and he made you. There's nothing we can do to him impress him. Everything that we are and everything that we have is a gift from him. And all men owe him their total allegiance and their total gratitude. And so God's not impressed by people. And this is a lesson that Peter had to learn. God's standard is not adjustable. He doesn't look at Jews differently than he looks at Gentiles. Men cannot gain leverage in their dealings with God. And this is something that the Jews did not understand. They thought that they were special. They thought because they were Abraham's children, because they had the law and the prophets, they thought that God loved them more than everybody else because God showed favoritism to them. But now Peter has the direct revelation from God in a vision and in God's timing and bringing all these events together. And God's telling Peter, no, it's not the way the Jews have thought about it for all this time. Your traditions are wrong and you need to give them up. The Jewish tradition says it's unlawful for a Jew to go in and eat with a Gentile. They, that, that's not what the Old Testament says, but that's what their traditions had turned it into. The Old Testament did separate the Jews from the Gentiles because they were the chosen people. And the separation was a clean and unclean distinction, circumcision versus uncircumcision. But they weren't prohibited from eating with Gentiles. They weren't allowed to eat certain kinds of food that Gentiles would eat. But the Jews had turned it into this whole system by which they could earn God's favor and they could, they could earn the right to demand a Messiah. They were trying to earn their way into, into salvation, earn their way into God's favor by getting on his good side. But God doesn't have a good side. God does not show partiality. Peter's saying that God's dealing with those outside of Israel in a new way. In every nation, whoever fears God and works righteousness is, accept, is accepted by him. And the only way that Peter is able to say these words is because God has revealed it to them. And the gospel, the good news of God's grace is for Jews as well as Gentiles. And the story of Acts, it always goes first to the Jews because the Jews should have known that this is what the gospel was. They should have known that the gospel was for Gentiles because it's all through the Old Testament that the nations would be blessed by the seed of Abraham. That God would bless the nations. That the Jews, the Messiah, would be a light unto the Gentiles. It's in their prophecies. It was there. But, but this is hard for them to swallow. It's a hard pill for them to swallow. Now, there are some in our day who try to use this verse, verse 35, in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. 
there are there are those today that, that will argue that there are many paths to the one God. It's just if you're good, if you're good enough, if you're righteous, then then you can you can be saved. Because in every nation, whoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted by him. And so it's okay for you to do it that way and me to do it this way, because it just matters that we're good before God. Well, it's, it's a half-truth. It's right that it just matters if we're good before God. But it's wrong to say, your way is as good as my way. Because God only reveals one way to be good. One way to be righteous. And that's death and resurrection in Jesus Christ. And this is completely evident in the text here, because if you take the text in the context of it, it says, Peter says that the gospel is a global gospel, but it's in a very important sense, it remains a Jewish gospel. Salvation is of the Jews. It's for the world. It's for everyone. But it's of Jesus Christ. It's from Jesus Christ, who was a Jew born in Palestine. And there is no salvation outside of him. Because right as soon as Peter's done saying that every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness, is accepted by him, he goes right into a declaration of the gospel, and it starts here. The gospel, it comes through Israel, and it comes through Jesus Christ. Verse 36. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. So Israel has the word. Israel is who has been given the word. And Jesus is the Lord. And there is no other name by which we must be saved. So now that we've dealt with that heresy, Let's look at what's going on here in the text. Peter has declared to these Gentiles, God has a good message for you. And here it is. And he proclaims the gospel. This gospel was proclaimed. It was not a hidden thing. It's not something that happened behind closed doors. Israel may have been somewhat of an outlier in the Roman world. It was a small province a long ways away from Rome. But it was populated, and it was civilized, and it had an ancient history. And the events of the gospel message were published throughout the region. It wasn't something that happened under a rock. When Jesus came, he had multitudes following him. And that's when Peter gives, here, here he gives a full-throated message of the gospel. Verses 37 to 41. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. This is the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. It's God sending 
conception to a virgin. It's God raising up a man who will bear our burdens and who will heal us of our diseases and who will perform miracles, who will feed the multitudes. We have the sickness. We need the cure. And Jesus Christ is the cure. And he comes, and when he gives the cure, it's openly seen. The people follow him. He teaches them. They sit down on the mount, and he feeds them, and he teaches them, and he gives them true food, which is the message of God. But the kingdom of God is at, is, is at hand. Even in his life, before his death, he's, he's, he's preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, where God is establishing a new thing here on the earth. He's creating a new people. He's creating a new identity. And so what Peter does here is he is witnessing what happened, the gospel. This is what happened. God sent Jesus. He lived, and he died. And then God vindicated him, justified him, and raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead, and moreover, Peter saw it firsthand. Eyewitness. I was there. I walked with him. I talked with him. I sat down with him. I laid down with him. I ate. I drank. I was there. I denied him. I saw him being beaten and persecuted. I went to his grave. And it was empty. And I saw him after he was raised from the dead. I ate with him and drank with him after he was raised. So Peter was a witness, and, and not only Peter, Peter's companions were witnesses. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Peter had taken six Jews with him from Joppa. He wasn't coming just on his own. And, and, I, and I got into this a bit last week. This was God's providence on two fronts. One is he's got other men who've been witnesses of the work of Jesus right there with him at his side. That are there standing behind his message and presenting it to the, to the Gentiles as the truth. Because they saw it. They were there. That, this happened. And it's a blessing on the other hand because next week when we get into chapter 11, Peter's going to have to defend himself. And what happens here in chapter 10 to the Jews in Jerusalem. And so now he's got witnesses not only of what Jesus did when Jesus was alive, but he's going to have witnesses of what Jesus is doing now to the Jews. He's going to be able to tell the Jews, this is what happened, and these guys were with me. Crazy stuff. And admittedly, the story is fantastic. I mean, we're talking about a man who dies and is raised from the dead. That's fantastic. We're talking about miracles. That's fantastic. But it's real. It's real. It's what happened. Peter experienced it. Peter was there. And the next thing that Peter tells these assembled Gentiles is what his mission is. He says, I was there, we walked with him, and then this is what he told us to do. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people 
and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Peter's an apostle. The word apostle, the, Hebrew, the Greek word apostle means sent out ones. Sent out. He, he, Jesus sent Peter out to preach to the people. He was sent with a message. He was a messenger. They're sent out to preach that Jesus was ordained by God Almighty to be the judge of the living and the dead. What this means is that in Jesus' death and his resurrection, Jesus was crowned. He was, he was given all authority in heaven and earth. He was established on a throne in heaven. And back in verse 36, Peter said, Jesus, who is Lord of all, he is king over everything. Jesus has all authority over all men, living and dead. There's no limit on Jesus' authority. God's given everything to him. It, it's his. It belongs to him. And this is, the, this is the gospel. This is the power of God. This is something that is a reality that we cannot escape. This is who God is. And, and all men only have one option, and that's to accept him for who he is and what he is. And believe that he is what he says he is. He's real. Men have seen it, and they've told us the story. Luke's telling us the story here. God is God, and he has all authority over the living and the dead. And that includes you, Gentiles, that he's talking to here. This, this is a big gospel. The good news part of this is found in the next verse, that the message is one of peace and reconciliation. I mean... Just to say that Jesus is king and God and Lord over heaven and earth and men living and dead and that all men answer to him, well, that's not so much good news without this next verse. We need this next verse, verse 43. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Remission of sins. The new thing that is happening here is that Peter realizes that the new grace that God has shown to the Jews in Jesus Christ, the Messiah coming, was now to be offered to the Gentiles. Jesus was Lord. The Jews were pretty good at that part. When they accepted Jesus as Messiah and they accepted his forgiveness, that was easy. That was grace. That part was easy. But now Peter is telling Gentiles the same message that Jesus died for men and God, Jesus is not limited to the Jews and God vindicated Peter's sermon and we'll get to that in just a second but Peter now gets and he's telling the message to the Gentiles that God is over all he's supreme 
and that all men must submit to him. And God's grace isn't limited to those who are circumcised. His vision, Cornelius' timing and, his, and Cornelius' vision, these, these good Gentiles that are gathered together with receptive hearts and open ears to hear this message. And so Peter tells them the same message that he tells to the Jews. And then God vindicates Peter in this. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. That's vindication. This gospel is true. Peter went and preached the gospel to Gentiles, something that the Jews would not have even considered as a reality, as a real possibility. It's just outside of their, their, their frame of reference, outside of their imagination. God had to give him a vision. God had to give him an imagination. And then God had to push him to go follow that imagination. And, and, and so Peter is a good man. He's faithful. Even after denying God three times, he, he says, No, Lord, I've never eaten anything clean or unclean. I can't, I can't rise, kill, and eat like you're telling me to. But then when it comes down to it, God pushes Peter out the door, and he submits, and he obeys. And here he is. And the Jews with him, and they've seen all the same timeline things. They've seen all the same occurrences of events. And God vindicates Peter's pr proclamation of the gospel by giving the Gentiles the Holy Spirit. And this is a big deal. This is huge. You know, Pentecost was huge. God sent the Holy Spirit down on men at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2. That was, it changed, it was a game changer. It changed everything. Now men had direct access to the supreme God of the universe by his spirit directly. And he gave them power and miracles and tongues. And they were magnifying God and glorifying him and rejoicing in gratitude for the salvation that he brings. The forgiveness of sins that he brings. This is a huge deal. That's Pentecost. Well, Acts 2 is Pentecost for the Jews. And here we have Pentecost for the Gentiles. This is huge. It's an entirely... God has broken down a barrier. It's a new wall has come tumbling down. Remember Peter's audience. Peter... Cornelius had drawn together all his family and friends, and they were waiting to hear God's message from the mouth of Peter... And now that message comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a game changer. Jesus Christ, the intimate friend of the twelve apostles, the Jewish Messiah who was resurrected from the dead and sitting at the right hand of God the Father, he had ascended into heaven, sends his Holy Spirit on uncircumcised men with power. And this completely caught the Jews off guard. Verses 45 to 46. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Peter's associates were astounded. This was not how things were supposed to happen. I mean, the Jews had a game plan. They had a game plan. They, they wanted to 
reestablished as uh, the kingdom on the earth over all other people. That's, they wanted to have Solomon back. That's what they wanted. Jesus is giving them so much more. But they don't see it. It, it feels like Jesus is cheating them. They feel like the older brother in the, in the, in the, in the parable. What? They didn't even get circumcised. And they get the Holy Spirit? Really? Yes. What was God thinking? Right now, all these Jews are going through the same feelings of disgust that Peter felt at eating unclean animals in his vision. But now, they are united to Gentiles. They are one with them. God's law had pounded into them the ceremonial laws. The Jews understood the ceremonial laws. They lived and died by the ceremonial laws. Israelites had been separated out of the world to be a special people. They were the holy people. The recipients of the promises. But God is writing a new law. God has sent a new Moses in Jesus Christ. God has a greater prophet in our Lord. And this new law, a spiritual law, is the real law. This is what Moses was just a type. And this is something the Jews really have to wrap their heads around. I mean, they venerated Moses. And, and in, in these circumstances, God is changing, changing the rules. God's writing a new law, and he's writing it on the hearts. The purpose of the Old Testament law was to teach the Jews that God was holy. He was set apart. He was pure. He was righteous. And, there, and it's, it's not easy to be that way. As fallen men, we can't do it. But the Jews couldn't either. That's why they needed Jesus. But this is, they're still trying to wrap their heads around this. Now Peter grasped it because, because he had a vision, because the Holy Spirit had been working on him. And we know that Peter got it because of how he started his sermon after Cornelius told him about his vision. He said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He gets it. That's why he preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. And God proves it by sending the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. And now Peter knows what to do. Verses 47 and 48. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. The proof was undeniable. The Spirit's presence was evident and clear. These Gentiles were recipients of the same Holy Spirit that the apostles and other Christians were. God had clearly orchestrated all these events. From the sending of the angel to Cornelius, to the timing of the messenger's arrival, to the receiving of the Holy Spirit. The next chapter, when Peter's telling this story that's going on right now to the, to the Jews, he says, Who was I that I could withstand God? I couldn't do anything. He says, Who can forbid water that these men should be baptized? Who, who can forbid water? Can anyone forbid water? No! It's a rhetorical question. No! Nobody can forbid water. Because of Peter's excellent logic. What's greater? The water 
or the Holy Spirit? The sign or God? What's this is a no-brainer. The spirit is greater. The water is only a sign of the reality of God. An inward reality which is evident in these new believers. What is baptism? What is Peter suggesting? And this is partly why Peter gets in big trouble back in Jerusalem. What is going on here? Baptism is the inclusion of these baptized Gentiles, when they're baptized, into the body of Christ, into the church of God. This is a sign of membership in Christ, membership in the church. Baptism unites these believers with all the rest of the believers. And this is something that the rest of the believers, who are mostly Jews at this point in time, are going to have to wrap their heads around. This is not easy stuff. Wait a second. Our whole lives, from the time we were little kids, we were not allowed to eat. In these, we weren't allowed to go into their houses. We weren't, we weren't supposed to talk to them. They were strangers. Don't talk to strangers, little kids. They're different. We're not like them. We, we cannot, we can't associate with them. We can't be identified with them. And now Jesus changes that, just like that. Now all of a sudden, they're called by the same name. Now they're welcome to the same table, the Lord's table. Table fellowship for Jews was huge. And, and Gentiles were not permitted. But now... Because they're baptized, because they have the Holy Spirit, because they are in the church, everything's different. This is the message, this is the message of the New Testament. The whole New Testament is about Jesus bringing salvation to the world. And it, that means it has to make this leap, this giant leap from the Jews to the non-Jews. So the rest of the New Testament is about, well, what are Jews supposed to do with this? Here's the book of Hebrews. What are Gentiles supposed to do with this? Well, here's the book of Corinthians or Ephesians. The whole thing is about uniting a people of God under Christ. We are Christians. No separation between Jew and Gentile anymore or slave and master. It's not the same anymore. Now you are Christ's. That's your first and foremost identity. So here we see Peter obeying the vision he had. He's no longer separating what God has cleansed. These men heard the gospel. They believed. And just like the Jews, they received the spirit and magnified God. So baptism is the right move. And here Peter is carrying out the Great Commission. Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So Peter identifies the work of God and does his duty. And the Gentiles respond in gratitude, asking Peter to stay with them for a while. And Peter submits to this too and eats with them as he should. I mean, back in Galatians 2, he forgets about this for a brief time, and Paul confronts him. But 
That's why we have Acts 15, which is coming up too. This is what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to eat with the Gentiles. Membership in the church is first and foremost membership in a community. And membership in a community has attendant fellowship and peace and communion. We are one with one another. When we eat the bread of communion, like the, it's one loaf, it symbolizes our unity in Christ. Now again, Peter is breaking the old law, and he'll have to answer for it when he gets back to Jerusalem. But for now, he gets to enjoy God's blessing and his new friends and brothers in the Lord. And I'm certain this was a stretch for Peter and his Jewish companions. God was changing their paradigm, and it, it took them some time to figure out the details of what this could or might mean. Notice that the sermon that Peter gives isn't some new message. Peter shows up, and Cornelius simply tells him that he wants to hear what God's message is for us, because God told us that you have a message for us. So Peter preaches, and the same message that he preached to the Jews was powerful to save the Gentiles. And also notice that the Savior is the same Savior. Jesus is the Savior. The God who had revealed himself to the Jews as the God of the Jews was now revealing himself to both the Jews and the Gentiles as the God of the living and the dead. We can't even say he's God of the, just the living. He's living God of the, the living and the dead. There's no escaping his authority. Both the Gentiles and the Jews need Jesus Christ. And this is why St. Paul uses the first Adam and the second Adam in his apostles. And, and that use of those terms is appropriate. Adam was the father of the human race. And the second Adam is the true Adam, the father of the true human race. Man as God intended him to be, Jesus Christ. And in him we're learning what that means. Jesus is the new way of being human, not just the new way of being Jewish. The reason that Peter's message doesn't change for the Gentiles is that Jesus was bigger than the Jews thought he was, and our God is bigger than we think he is. So we should also learn to expect the, the unexpected when it comes to God. He's bigger than us. His ways are not our ways. He wants to teach and instruct and lead us to enlighten and invigorate us, to fill us with life, His life, the life of the Holy Spirit, which we cannot contain. It's, it has to overflow out of us. If He gives it to us, it pours out of us. It's evident. Paul tells us that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is, and God are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And sometimes that rocks our world, as it does here for Peter and the Jews. But when that is the case, it's better to wait and see what God is doing than for us to think, what are you doing, God? How could you do that? We're just kicking against the goats. We're like Paul before he saved. We're railing against God. We need the message of Gamaliel. If this is of God, it cannot be, be stopped. And if it's not, it won't go anywhere. So if we see God doing something that we can't explain, it's time for us to be humble. Now this is not some sort of Christian stoicism. It's not to say, 
whoa, something's going on, not to have any feelings or emotions about it. Just because I'm just going to march through life with a straight face. That's not Christianity. No, it's a biblical humility that looks to God for wisdom in faith, knowing that it's all a gift. James tells us if you lack wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith. This a Christian humility looks to God in humility for wisdom in faith. Because God is writing a story. And if we get the story, it's a great story. We have caused it's not stoicism. We should be rejoicing with what John Piper calls Christian hedonism. This God has blessing for us. He has good for us. He has salvation. And the reality of this story that the gospel is that the gospel goes out not only to you, to Jews, but also to Gentiles. And it's really a tremendous and glorious turn in the story of the church. The rest of the book develops this theme, the rest of the book of Acts. And this is also sets the trajectory for the rest of Christian history. The gospel goes out, and Jesus conquers new territories and new hearts. Men find forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, and reason to rejoice and give thanks. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. 
Again, thank you and blessings.